You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So today is going to have even more of a draft focus and whatnot, but I did want to cover a couple topics that I had just set in here. Number one, um, Bobby Wagner has gone to the L.A. Rams. I, like everyone else, saw this and just thought, can you guys just freaking stop, please? Can you just stop? You know, I I wish they hadn't just won the Super Bowl because I want so badly to just trash them. But there's nothing I can say that can take away from, yeah, well, it worked this one year. It worked last year. Yeah, I know, man. It's just so, I don't, I don't, I don't know. They pick up every old, washed-up guy that is potentially available, and it's always the biggest name. And listen, Bobby Wagner is a great football player. Old and washed-up is a little bit unfair, but he's not peak Bobby Wagner. And, and my, the, the issue is everybody views all these guys as being in their peak physical condition. Dude, they got Bobby Wagner. Dude, they got Allen Robinson. Dude, neither of those guys did anything last year. Is Bobby still a good football player? Yeah. But this isn't, you know, 2018 Bobby Wagner. This is 2022 Bobby Wagner, coming off his worst game since 2015, or worst season since 2015. His highest graded game of the season was week two, 82 overall grade. He had two games in the 30s. Now, this is one of the better linebackers over the last, I don't know, at least 10 years, for sure. Luke Keekley and Bobby Wagner are like one and two. Can't take away from that fact. But he's just not the same guy. And Allen Robinson, my goodness. I mean, again, maybe the guy was just disgruntled because Chicago was trash and he just didn't try, but he wasn't even number one on the Chicago Bears team. So you can't even say, well, it was just a bad offense. Really? Because Darnell Mooney seemed to manage all right. I mean, he's not an elite wide receiver, but he did a fine job. He seemed to manage. Well, it's just because Allen Robinson was there. Well, maybe, hopefully, because then Mooney is trash and so is Robinson, I guess. I don't know. But the other slight annoyance, um, and I'm not, I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. There was a tweet put out yesterday about this. I have no ill will toward the person that tweeted it, which is, but it kind of surprised me that it was put out there because I don't know where this came from, but it was something to the effect of, you know, the Rams have done more for Stafford than the Packers have ever done for Rodgers. Allen Robinson and Bobby Wagner combined is more for Matt Stafford. Well, they got OBJ too. Okay. Well, just to be clear, because I, I, I want to be clear on this, and this is part of the issue with the Rams right now. They make all these big, flashy signings, but we don't really talk about, number one, the inability to add through the draft, and number two, the fact that when you sign these guys to these short-term rentals, a lot of them go out the door. 
So they signed those two. They are losing Von Miller, Darius Williams, Robert Woods, Andrew Whitworth, Austin Corbett, Sebastian Joseph Day, um, Ogbania Onkronquo, Johnny Hecker, and still unsigned Odell Beckham, Sony Michelle, and Dante uh, Dion. Some names are bigger than others. But just to be clear, Andrew Whitworth, unbelievably good tackle. Von Miller, critically good pass rusher. Austin Corbett, Robert Woods, Johnny Hecker, Odell Beckham. These are major players and have been major players. Andrew Whitworth by himself has been one of the major contributors to this Rams team since the Rams stopped sucking. And so to look at Allen Robinson and Bobby Wagner and be like, dude, they just got better. I don't even believe this. They just keep getting better every year. I don't understand. I, I guess you don't understand because they got a good PR team. I don't know. They're a lot worse right now than they were last year. And by the way, last can I can I just reiterate this? And I again, I understand you can't take anything away because you won the Super Bowl and that's the goal. The Rams were not the best team last year. They did not build the best team. They were not in any way the best team last year. The Packers were a team that was but well then they didn't why didn't they win the Super Bowl? Dallas was a better team than they were last year. The Chiefs are better than the Rams. The Bucks are better than the Rams. Winning the Super Bowl is about getting into the playoffs and being the one team that can win like three games in a row. That's it. Only one team is going to win three in a row. Well, four, I guess, for most of the teams. Oh, by the way, Buffalo, significantly better team. I would say New England, arguably a better team. The only teams that the Rams were probably better than were Cincinnati, Arizona, maybe San Francisco, depending what you really thought about them, Pittsburgh, and Las Vegas. But it's about getting hot at the right time and just playing, again, four really good games. They had to play Arizona, who was not very good, like at all, crushed them. They had to play San Francisco because the Packers just completely fell apart, which was the better choice for the Rams because the Rams can never beat the Packers. Fortunately for the Rams, the Packers can never beat the 49ers. Well, that's not true, but when it matters, apparently we can't. And so they had to play the fifth seed, the sixth seed, and then the fourth seed, and then they won the Super Bowl because they were lucky enough that... Buffalo got knocked out by Kansas City, and then Kansas City got knocked out by Cincinnati, and New England got knocked out by Buffalo. So Cincinnati had to play the five seed, and then they had to play Tennessee, who was the one seed, but you know, I don't know. Kudos to them for that, but I I still think Kansas City and Buffalo were probably the best two teams. Well, I would say pretty clearly the best two teams in the AFC. Arguably the best teams in the NFL, I don't know. But you get what I'm saying, right? It's not that they don't deserve any credit. But it is not true that if you win the Super Bowl that we learn that this is the best team. That's not how the NFL is structured because it's single elimination. If it was a best of seven competition, you'd probably get more accurate representation. We'd find out more clearly, more thoroughly who the best team was because it's hard to beat the better team that many times in a row, right? The, The NFL has the little giant syndrome. It just takes one time. And so if you're better than Arizona, you're better than San Francisco, and you're, well, they, they might have just been better than the three teams that they face, but even if one of them was just luck, you could say that was Cincinnati. They're better than Las Vegas. They're maybe better than Tennessee. They got lucky against Kansas City, and there you go. Made it to the Super Bowl. And, and by lucky, I don't mean, lucky maybe isn't fair, but out of 10 times, you think Kansas City loses more than five? I don't think so. I think Kansas City wins like seven out of 10 times. Maybe even Tennessee. I don't know. It was 16 to 19. Maybe Tennessee wins six out of 10 times. I don't know. Dallas and San Francisco. I bet Dallas beat San Francisco most of the time. Tampa Bay and the Rams. That's right. The Rams did have to play Tampa Bay. So so there you go. There's their one. I think Tampa Bay beats the Rams most of the time, but they got their one. Beat Tampa Bay. So I don't know. 
again, it's it's not that they don't deserve any credit. It's just that they get, they're getting too much. And now it's just now they're in that realm that everything they do is brilliant, everything they do is great, and it's just not, man. This is it's 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 not the most effective way to build a team long term. It's not. Again, the problem with free agency is that you necessarily overpay everybody. And so salary cap efficiency becomes a problem. I feel like the Rams are like the team that won the lottery. You know, lottery is a bad example because it's so rare, but I I can't think of a better one right now. You know, you tell people, don't play the lottery, you're not going to win. It's stupid. It's a poor people tax. It's the government taking money away from people that don't have money. It's, it's a bad idea. It's a bad system. Don't play the lottery. Don't do it. You're not going to win. The problem with people that say that is somebody always ends up winning. And then it's like, oh, really? What would that advice have looked like if you had told that guy? His life would have been significantly worse. He wouldn't have won the lottery if you'd taken your advice, but he didn't listen to you. He believed, man. Good thing he believed and didn't take your advice. I, listen, I understand that somebody wins. I, I completely understand that. I'm still standing here telling you don't play the lottery. And that's me with the Rams. This is a bad idea. Don't do this. Well, the Rams did it and they won the Super Bowl. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I know, man. I still don't think you should do it because it doesn't make any sense. Or again, the blackjack analogy that I've used a hundred times. You got 20 and hit. I'm like, don't, don't hit. It's a bad idea. Don't do it. And they flip over an ace like, oh, oh, interesting. Interesting. You told me not to hit. Um. Looks like I just won, though. Looks like you're stupid. Looks like you don't know anything about blackjack, dummy. No, dude, I mean, it's, it's pretty basic math, man. I don't know. I, I, yeah, you won. Congrats. All right, forget it. I don't care. Do whatever you want. Stupid. Stupid stupidness. So, bottom line, I'm just really looking forward to the Rams getting smacked. I just want them to get smacked around real bad. I mean, I, and, and they should be happy with that, too, because even, even fans who want, like, this whole all-in strategy, which I don't think any of them can define it, but let's just pretend the Rams are doing it and the Packers aren't, because I don't really care to argue that anymore. That's sort of the goal anyways. I, it would be worth it to go all-in, win a Super Bowl, and then just completely fall apart. So it wouldn't even disrupt your little fake universe and how things work, and I, I, so I think we can both be happy. You still get to feel all warm and fuzzy about it working, and I just get to feel warm and fuzzy about watching the Rams suffer for being stupid and for poisoning the minds of everyone, believing this is a good idea. Anyways, I gotta get off this or I'm gonna spend the entire show talking about how draft and develop is still a good idea. I'm like the old guy waving my finger at people for doing drugs. I'm like, oh, this old guy, he's just an old guy. He, he, he's into the old ways when you didn't do drugs. And I'm like, well, it's not really an, an old and new thing. It's, it's just sort of like science and stuff. It's not good for you to, to do drugs and cigarettes are, are bad and stuff. Alcohol is not great for your body, but you can avoid it. That'd be great. Oh, you're just old. You don't understand the new ways. It's like, well, no, but all right, fine. I'm going to go away. I'm going to go drink a seltzer water and watch Jeopardy. Anyways, uh, a couple other fun little notes I pulled off Twitter. PFF draft. I don't know why PFF College tweeted this, but I'm fine with that either way. Lowest completion rate allowed when playing press coverage last season. Number one, AJ Terrell. Number two, Eric Stokes. Number three, Razul Douglas. It's the one thing I like about Razul. Well, it's not the one thing. I've kind of mentioned how his, his grades aren't as drastically different than Devondre's, but as I said before, Although I think his grades plummet if you take away his picks and his pick sixes, still, he didn't have a bad year. I feel like 
the floor kind of for Razul Douglas is like Chandon Sullivan, hopefully anyways, which is to say he's not really a star, but you also just don't really remember he's even on the team because you just never hear about him, which is all I want from a corner. I mean, I'll take a Jair, I'll take a top end, like, you know, put a guy in an island corner all day, every day. It's unbelievably important, but I love a good corner that you just forget is on your team because you just never hear his name ever. There's no touchdowns against him. There's no like, what the heck are you doing? Like, why is he, he, that dude just got freaking burned. There's none of that. So that's, that's my goal for Razul Douglas. Cause again, I'm, I, I will be setting the bar lower. Otherwise I'm setting myself up for disappointment. My goal is for Razul Douglas to be Chandon Sullivan. Um, couple quick things here. Uh, we're going to officially transition to um, the NFL draft now. But before we get into the thing that I've been wanting to do for the last two days, but have been getting sidetracked, uh, a couple other notes. And this is one of my favorite times of the season when you start hearing rumors about um, meetings and uh, people that are really interested in this person or that person or whatever. Um, because it's not just like, you know, you met with somebody at the pro day. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're there, you're going you're gonna to talk to them, you know, or the combine where you just kind of you quote unquote meet with a lot of people, whether that's an official sit down or just a, you know, passing in the hallway meeting or whatever. You have like official meetings set up. According to Tony Pauline, the Green Bay Packers have met with Baylor wide receiver Tyquan Thornton. Remember when I listed off that very, very small list of um, players that have real top end speed and how we talked about how desperate the Packers are for top end speed? Let me just read you that list one more time. Um, there are only eight of them. And again, there are more than eight, but some of them just didn't run. Jamison Williams is presumed to be one of those guys. But of the people that have run at the Combine, here's the list in order. Chris Olave, 439. Garrett Wilson, 438. Christian Watson, 436. Bo Melton, 434. Danny Gray, 433. Calvin Austin, 432. Ve- uh, Velus Jones, 431. Tyquan Thornton, 428. Now, I'm not saying the Packers are definitely going to draft Tyquan Thornton. Meet with a lot of people that you don't end up drafting. But this just has a very, like, the Packers are just not at all messing around with Tyquan Thornton. <laughs> like, with, with speed, I mean. They're just not screwing around with this. You got the head coach being like, you know what we need is some, some speed. We're, we're on the verge of overpaying MVS, presumably because someone is just begging, 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 begging. And again, I always thought they overemphasized MVS in this offense because I think they were, and, and Aaron Rodgers also, just desperate for someone that can just fly down the field. And so the one meeting we've heard of, and I'm sure there have been several and will be several more, but the one we've heard of is the six foot two wide receiver that has four two eight speed, maybe the fastest wide receiver in this class, one of the fastest guys um, in the combine, and probably the fastest Packer that has ever been if he becomes a Packer. MVS was blazing fast. He was a tall guy that had four th- what four three nine speed, something like that, four three six, four three seven, whatever. Think about that though. The difference between MVS and Tyquan Thornton is the difference between MVS and a guy that runs a 446. It's a big difference. By the way, that's literally Randall Cobb. Also, Craig Bragg in 2005 ran a 446. And and hilariously, at the time Randall Cobb ran a 446, like that dude, that dude can scoop, man. 446, that's pretty quick. These days it's like 446, dude. What are you? What are you a freaking offensive guard? You fatty? <laughs> Now, he is 181 pounds, which is a little bit small. We're talking, you know, four pounds under the whatever 185 threshold, if that's a thing. But still, six foot two, you still got your big wide receiver running a 428, which is stupid. Um, 
He didn't do any of the agility stuff, but his explosion grade was listed as great. 36-inch vert and a 10-foot, 1-inch broad jump. Or is that 10-foot, 10-inch broad jump? It's a big difference. Nearly a foot difference. And, I mean, just to be clear, there are 11 guys that have run that fast or faster. Not many of them are super great, but Rondale Moore, J.J. Nelson, Jacoby Ford, Jerome Mathis, Anthony Schwartz, Henry Ruggs, Marquise Goodwin, Dree Archer, John Ross, Dante Stallworth. That's the entire list that I can find. Now, this only goes back to, I think, 2000, but I don't think I realized Rondale Moore was that fast. I'm sure I did at one point, but I had completely forgot about that. Rondale Moore is as fast as Henry Ruggs. I mean, the difference is negligible. But anyways, any issue, um, and, and also, just so we're clear on this, he's the only one that is over six foot and runs that fast. Dante Stallworth is, oh no, he's not, I don't know why he's on this list. Anthony Schwartz is the only one that's even six foot. Oh wait, no, Dante Stallworth, I'm sorry. Dante Stallworth is six foot. Anthony Schwartz, six foot. Um, Dante Stallworth ran a 4.22. Anthony Schwartz ran a 4.27. This guy is two inches taller than anybody else that has ever run a 4.28 or faster. He's the, the, the tallest guy that's ever run a sub 4.3. I added the 4.29 just to double check, and sure enough. So if the Packers are looking for tall, fast guys, this is a historic individual. And again, it doesn't automatically equate, but the Packers have a weird fetish, if I may say it so strangely. They like tall guys that can run real fast. This is maybe the, well, this, this I mean, again, not including post two or pre-2000, the first ever tall, super fast guy. MVS was very rare in that. In fact, let's look at that. If you're looking for tall, fast guys, the list seems to be about 28 of them. Obviously, Christian Watson is in that mix uh, with a 4.36. But if we bump up the inches a little bit, just to say, you know, if you're four threes, but you got to be taller, 6.4 and above, uh, 4.39 or lower, sub 4.4, you've got eight guys. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Christian Watson, um, Stephen Hill, who is a uh, six-round pick, 6-4-4-3-6, Drew Carter, 6-4-4-3-6, Tyrone uh, Calico, 6-4-4-3-4, Jacob Harris last year, 6-5-4-3-9, Tommy Streeter, 6-5-4-3-7, and Calvin Johnson, 6-5-4-3-5. But Darius Hayward Bay is the next fastest guy at this at, at 6-2 or taller at a 4-3-0. So the again the first sub four three guy at six two or taller is Tyquan Thornton. Now as far as the consensus big board goes, he's currently sitting at one seventy four. That obviously makes him a pretty late round guy. That doesn't actually mean that's where he's going to go. Again, consensus is based on some people maybe having him as high as a hundred, some people having him at two eighty nine. For example, and I want to talk about some of these because some of these are really really great big boards, but you have him by uh, Sports Talk, which is somebody I've never heard of, ranks him at 265. Great Blue, Great Blue North Draft Report, who I've actually had on this show before a couple of years ago talking about our draft class. Might even been last year, I'm not sure. But another really um, unknown but, but solid group that just basically does draft stuff. That's all they do. Um, they have him ranked 61st. Now, that's uncharacteristically high. I can't find him anywhere sub-100 anywhere else. But you do have GBN saying he is the 61st best player in this draft. Bleacher Report has him 139, Draft Countdown 166, 
Bleacher Report earlier in the year had him 142. Pro Football Network, 149. So this may end up being, because again, if you're desperate for speed, you want to make sure that you have a pretty big list because it's not, you know, you can't just have like one guy and that's it. Because if you don't get him now, what do you do? So you want to make sure that you can take multiple swings before you have to get super desperate. So you're not taking at 22 Christian Watson when you don't think he's really worth that because he's the only guy with size and speed that we actually like. By the way, those are the only two, I mean, depending on what you consider size, but if we're saying 6'2 is when you get to the point of being pretty tall, there's only two guys that fit that mark, and that's Tyquan Thornton and Christian Watson. Um, As far as just a quick PFF look, because we haven't looked at this guy yet, four years at Baylor, the first three years were very underwhelming. Um, He had 32 targets in 2018, 69 overall grade. He had 354 yards and three touchdowns. 2019, he kind of bumped up how much he played. 68 targets, 45 receptions, 782 yards, and five touchdowns, but his grade actually went down to a 65.9. Then in 2020, 31 targets, 16 receptions, 158 yards, and one touchdown. It was his um, lowest amount of targets, lowest amount of receptions, lowest yards, lowest touchdowns, and lowest PFF grade. So his PFF grade went from a 69 to a 65 to a 53, which is terrible. Then in 2021, 98 targets, 62 receptions, 941 yards, 10 touchdowns, 83 overall grade, 83 receiving grade, his highest drop grade because his drops uh, went to uh, 4.6%. The previous year was 11.1%. So just completely exploded. He only had one game under uh, 60. So there was consistency throughout the year. It wasn't like he had six elite games or three elite games or whatever, and that skewed the number. No, he only had one bad game all year. His highest game was only an 83, but I still think that's a, ne- a positive because when you got a guy that's got this elite speed, you want to make sure that you don't have just elite games that are skewing this grade. He doesn't really have very many elite games. Uh, he actually, he doesn't have any. He has one game in the 80s, which is not even an elite game. But that's good because it says he was consistent every single week, every single game. I'm sure if you talk to a, a uh, Baylor guy, they'll give you some information about what changed. Probably somebody left. He becomes the number one guy, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. But something clearly clicked. And he took off and he dominated. Um, not surprisingly, 95% he was on the boundary, very rarely in the slot, which makes sense for a six foot two blazing speed guy. Uh, 15.2 yards per reception, which again, I think is a positive. Because, I mean, if it's, if it's like 25 yards per reception or even 20, you look at it and you go, yeah, you're just a, you're just a deep threat. That's, a, that's pretty much all you are. At 15.2, that's kind of just normal receiver numbers. Um, yards after the catch per reception, 3.1. Yards per route run, 2.5. His average depth of target was 15.4. Longest reception, 75 yards. Only had three drops on the season. Contested catch rate was 55.6%, which, again, give it above 50, and I'm good with it. Uh, five missed tackles forced, 47 first downs on the season, 120.3 passer rating when targeted. He also had two passes on the season, so there's, I guess, that. And also there is a kick return element. Um, he only did three kick returns, zero punt return. On those kick returns, 45 yards, 27 yards was his longest, so he had a 15-yard average, which is really bad. Again, you want to get to the 25-yard line, so you're looking for 25-ish yards. He got 15. If those were punt returns, I'd be very happy with 15 yards, but that was not. So um, I'm sure that question will be raised. He didn't show very much. Doesn't mean he can't do it, I guess, but he has not done it very much at Baylor, probably because they just didn't ask him to do it very much. Again, only three, I guess nine over his career. Uh, He averaged 15.3 yards per return, which again is not good. 
As far as his overall special teams grade, uh, 60. So he didn't really do very much on 10 snaps. Uh, 68 over the course of his college career. So interesting, and it definitely makes sense. You want to have an interview with the guy um, because you're just trying to figure out where he sits on your board and if, if you want the guy and how badly, which is an important thing to note. When you meet with a prospect, it doesn't mean you like him. It means you want to find out if you like him, and if so, how much. There's, there's two questions you're either asking when you're when you're meeting with him. Because if, if you know you like him and you know how much, you don't really need to meet him. If, if you if you have all the questions answered, and I'm sure not everybody has every question. You'd love to meet with every prospect, but you can't. But the point is, there's probably some discrepancy among your staff. Some people think Taekwon is a great player, and other guys are looking at it going, I don't see it. And so it's like, all right, let's let's talk to the guy and, and get some answers. Let's go back and, and see if we can figure out because we're 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 not sure where to put him. Whether that means on the board or off the board or how high to put him. And we want to make sure we get it right. Because clearly with his size and speed, this would be a great addition if we think he's a good player. Um in addition, the Packers also apparently have a Zoom meeting with um Texas AM running back Isaiah Spiller. For those of you that are wondering why running back, because because the Packers are not going into this with their four needs and saying we're not touching anything else. I've, I've talked about running back and how um, it's not a primary need, but it is probably a secondary need. And although I don't really expect them to take one as early as round two, and I know they won't take one in round one, um, it's probably more of a mid to late round kind of a thing. I just, just want to remind you again, A.J. Dillon was taken in the second round when, the, when running back was not really seen as a very big need. So let's just go into this with the assumption that the Packers are going to take really good players. And there are very few positions that they've completely ruled out. If we get to that point, then we don't have to sit here and go, why would you talk to that guy? We don't need that. Why would you do that? Here's a real quick conspiracy theory for you, by the way. Why are they doing so much homework on all these mid-round guys to make sure that they get it right? Because they're planning a big trade-up and they're not going to have a lot of picks. <laughs> I don't know. It's, 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 fun to, it's fun to play with. Fun to think about. Don't worry about it. By the way, for that to be true, you'd, you'd also assume that they're planning a big trade-up potentially for a non-wide receiver. That's why they want to make sure that... Anyways, I'll stop trying to ruin your day. But Isaiah Spiller is expected to be a second-round prospect. So um, to be very, very clear, the Packers are not wasting an opportunity to meet with a person that they have no desire to draft whatsoever. Zero. I, I, I said this before. It's not off the table as much as every... If I did a mock draft today that had Isaiah Spiller going as one of our two second-round picks, everybody would light me personally on fire. Not just the draft. They would light me on fire. No way the Packers take a running back. Why would they take a running back? They have the best duo in football. You're an idiot. You don't know anything. Okay, I understand that rationale, but that rationale is not how the Packers go about doing their business. The Packers have not taken, taken running back off their board until the fifth round because there's bigger needs. That's not how they operate. And so, again, they are meeting with Isaiah Spiller. And to be clear, it's not to determine whether or not he's on or off the board. Isaiah Spiller is on the board. Unless he's got some serious character flaws that they're trying to iron out to potentially take him off the board, he's on it. It's just a matter of how high do we want to put him. Why do you care how high you want to put him? Because you want to make sure that when you're drafting in your spot, you make sure that he's on the proper tier to determine whether he would be the guy we want to draft or should we go in a different direction. So when we go through all this stuff, and, and granted, I've been skipping running back my, well, that's not true. I did watch, um, I don't think I saw Spiller. I watched Kenneth Walker, and I watched Brees Hall, and I like both of them. But now I'm going to have to watch Spiller, I guess. But just to be clear, that is the reality. And I don't know why we refuse to learn that and then just get disappointed every time on draft day when they do stuff that it's like, oh, no, why did you do that? 
You don't need that. Stop. Stop. You're ruining your own draft experience by just assume, by 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 doing all these mock drafts and looking at everybody's mock draft and it's like, oh, dude, wide receiver, edge rusher, wide receiver, tight end, offensive guard, perfect draft. That's what it's going to be. Maybe mix out the guard for a tackle or one of the wide receivers for a defensive tackle or what you know what we'll mix and match, but it has to be a very specific and narrow you know maybe linebacker, but it's got to be second round. And uh, there's only a couple that we will um, accept. Leo Chanel obviously being one of them because he's a Badger and he's really talented. Um, maybe Trey McBride, but we, you know, they never do that, so it's probably not a good idea. By the way, that also applies to corner. Just throwing that out there. Does it apply to quarterback? That's the one maybe we can rule out. Maybe. And even that, we're just talking about probably the first round. Maybe the second round. After that, do I think they would be open to it? Maybe. But I also doubt it. This may be a situation where it's like, let's just take them all off the board. Or at the very least, unless a guy is like way, way, way high on our board and is the only guy left. But, you know, again, you break things into tiers. And if there's quarterbacks on your tiers, which I'm sure that there is, they're just going with a different player that's on that tier. And if it's just a quarterback on that tier, we're probably just going to trade out of the spot. But anyways, some of the more recent rankings of Isaiah Spiller, because again, this is just the aggregate. There are not exactly a pure... Um, Consensus is the word I'm trying to think of. I could not get consistency out of my head. Walter Football has him at 52. CBS's Chris Trapasso put him at 90. That would make him a third-round pick, obviously. Uh, Pro Football Draft, I don't even know if I know what that is, has him at 52. Tankathon, 60. Pro Football Network at 37. That would make him a very early second-round pick. By the way, he has been in a couple mock drafts, which means top 32. It's rare, but there have been some. Uh, some of the other rankings, 85-102 by Draft ID, another one I've never heard of. 65-42, uh, 64-91 by Player Profiler. I forgot about that site. There's actually a lot here that have come through. 69-78, uh, 73-104, I was going to do just this month. We're, we're only back to the 13th, so I guess we can stop there. But um, I, another one with GBN having a prospect really high, 37. The lowest I can find, 104 by Sports Talk. So again, part of the reason it's fun to look at stuff this way is because when you look at it and say, oh, based on the consensus, he's a second round pick, then he's definitely like a mid to late second round pick. The problem is the range, depending on who you ask, is like early, you know, late first, early second to potential fourth round prospect. But Isaiah Spiller, not exactly a uh, RAS monster. He is uh, six foot three, two seventeen, so he's got some decent size to him. But he ran a four six four, which is relatively slow, and his explosion grade was actually very poor, um, which may be part of the reason why you're having some of these meetings. Because again, when you're trying to figure out where to put a guy, there's several reasons why that may might be, and and for a lot of that, it it probably has to do with the the film not matching the athleticism. Not that you can necessarily glean that from. A meeting, but maybe you want to talk to him about a couple things and see if you can get to the bottom of, you know, was something going on. But at Texas A&M, three years, um, basically been a starter all three years, uh, 173 attempts, 957 yards, 10 touchdowns, 2020, um, 1,032 yards and nine touchdowns, 2021, 1,016 yards and six touchdowns, his grades 72, 78, and 83, so he's gone straight up. Um, consistency throughout the year is there. He had two games below a 60 and that's it. His highest was an 83. So very similar to what we just talked about with Tyquan Thornton. Almost every game is just like a, between a 70 and a 75 ish, like just very consistent down the line. Good running back, um, 5.7 yards per attempt, 
3.63 yards after contact per attempt, 56 missed tackles forced, 31 carries over 10 yards, mostly a zone runner, which is what the Packers mostly run. Also had uh, 25 receptions on 33 targets for 189 yards, zero drops, um, and he had a 120 elusiveness grade, which again, I still don't really understand how to read the elusiveness grade. I know uh, higher than 100 is good, but I also know that this number can get up into like the 400s, which is just kind of silly. So I don't exactly know how that all pans out. Um, On top of that, he grades out very, very poorly as a blocker. So again, some severe question marks for the Packers on this one. Um, Run blocking, he's just consistently bad. He has a 36.9 overall grade. His highest was a 60. So he's never been better than just an exact 60. And I'm sure a lot of that just has to do with no attempts. Like, you know, every time he's ever had to actually do his job, he's done it poorly. That's as a run blocker. As a pass blocker, there have been some positive reps, but it's been intertwined with some really horrific reps. So he has a 38 overall grade, which is a mix of 70s and 80s and um, grades between 8 and 23. Overall, he allowed a sack and five hurries on 52 um, opportunities, I guess. So 11.5% of the time, he was allowing some kind of a pressure, which is not great. So that's Isaiah Spiller. Again, not speaking to his film, just looking mostly at production and generally what PFF says about the guy. Not going to get into his uh, draft profile. We can save that for another day because I want to get to this other thing that I've been harboring for quite a while before I run out of time. So uh, remember to check out uh, my pinned Twitter post as well as the post over in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. We've got a couple GoFundMes over there that I would love for you to check out if you have the ability, if you're looking to give, uh, that would be a, a great place to do it. Don't forget about amodernfrontier.com where you can get a bunch of stuff now, not just meat, but it's mostly meat. They got chicken, they got pork, they got beef. It's all here locally from Wisconsin. He'll send you a box of frozen meat right to your doorstep. Shipping is included in the price. Make sure you reach out if you're not super local, meaning in Wisconsin or generally in the Midwest. Um, just reach out and make sure that it can get there before it gets you know, thawed and whatnot. He does have a range at the moment, which I know he was working on. So again, keep reaching out and uh, we'll see. Don't forget to use promo code uh, MEATPACKER. That's one word, all caps. You get $25 off your order. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. 
Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sorry if I'm getting a little bit slow here, but my um, I used a coffee substitute, and I will refrain from using the name of the company on the off chance that they ever were to become a sponsor. But um, I'm not 100% sold because although I was feeling good for a minute, I'm, um, getting, I'm getting a little tired here, getting a little foggy. But uh, before we continue on, I just wanted to let you know that as of right now, assuming there are no issues, and I, I hate uh, promising stuff because I, uh, a lot of times they don't come through and then it becomes, you know, it's not great. But as of right now, we, we have two new shows we're adding to our lineup. They both should be ready to go this week. I'm hoping, fingers crossed. This Monday, we've got our NFL draft show starting up. Hopefully, um, hoping to have some kind of an official announcement very, very soon. And then we have another one that um, I'm not going to give too many details on because we don't have uh, a lot of these specifics ironed out quite yet. But I'm extremely excited about it. And that show, I uh, believe at this particular point in time, pending, uh, should be for Friday afternoon. So we've got Monday will be the draft show. Tuesday, we've got Clayton with Packers Total Access. Wednesday, we got JJ with Cheese and Packers, and then Friday, we should have our um, fourth show, which will remain unnamed because it doesn't currently have one. So again, be on the lookout for those official announcements, hopefully coming soon, especially the Monday one, because it's kind of crunch time, man. I was, I was kind of putting the, the, the pressure on them a little, because all these other shows, it's not really an emergency. It's the off season, so we can afford to be patient. But with the draft, it's like, if we're doing once a week, we got, we got four shows left, so... You know, I mean, obviously, I want to. Hopefully, we'll we'll keep doing it, and they like it, and we like it, and we can do some uh, continued draft coverage and looking back at these prospects and looking forward to the next year's draft. We may have to kick them out of the Monday slot at some point um, because you know it becomes less important. But uh, I I would like to be able to hang on to that. But that's for for the future to figure out. But again, keep an eye on that. All right. What I wanted to look at here, and I had talked about them very very briefly, but there is a website called the Huddle Report. And I really like the Huddle Report because they do a couple things. What they do is they grade post-draft, they grade mock drafts, and they grade big boards. Big boards, which is what we're going to start with, is graded based on how many of their top 100 prospects are actually taken in the top 100. Now, to be clear, because I'm probably going to be saying some things that aren't necessarily 100% correct, this is probably about really nailing those last 30 or so. Because everybody knows what the top 100 is, or not the top 100, the top like 32, for example. Whatever your top 32 is, probably everybody just about gets that right. None of the top 32 are going to fall out of the top 100. Very rarely does that happen. And usually when it does, we kind of got a hint of it so that by the time your final big board came out, you probably accounted for that. There was some kind of a character thing that came up or whatever. But still... I want to acknowledge a lot of these sites as being very, very good at identifying the proper talent, because assumingly, 
if you can identify the top 100 talent that is on the back end, you're pretty good at identifying talent in general. And so I want to give some credence to their boards overall. Again, this this isn't exactly accurate because what I want to do is I want to look at the highest graded draft board over the last five years. And that's what he does. He has 2021's highest grade, which was, let's see, does anybody get a 90 out of 100? I don't think so. It doesn't appear so. But there were two 89s. One is NFL Draft Shark, which, and I know a lot of this stuff because I used to do my big board every single year, which was an aggregation of all these big boards. And then NFL Mock Draft started doing that, and I decided I didn't have to. But I had, and I used Huddleboard as as a reference to find these boards that are really, really good and utilize them. And so this is where I found them. So I'm familiar with a lot of these sites, NFL Draft Guru, NFL Draft Shark. So last year, NFL Draft Shark got 89, and I thought there was another 89 here somewhere, but I cannot find. Oh, College Football Metrics, which is always very hard to find their board. They must just put out one really, really late. But... um. College Football Metrics has two gold medals. In other words, they were number one twice um, in the last several years. You know who's probably the best at this? And it's somebody that a lot of people don't really care for very much. But when it comes to the NFL draft, this guy is one of the best in the business. Bob McGinn has had the highest score four out of the last five years. Last year, I think, was the first year he didn't have the high. He had an 85, which, again, is still really high. Um, But he had an 85. Or maybe, maybe it's not four out of the last five. That's not true. I think there's a couple others I can see he wasn't. But o- over the course of however long they've been doing this, he has four times had the highest score, which is the most of anybody. Nobody else has more than two. He has four. So Bob McGinn is very good at this stuff. But I want to start off with draft ace because the biggest thing that I want to do, again, is just get our brains out of this strict mold because that is one of my least favorite attributes. And for many people like that do this either professionally or just regularly, you talk to Goose, it's his biggest pet peeve. I had a YouTube channel that absolutely drove me insane. Every mock draft I did, that's stupid. You're an idiot. That guy will never be there. That guy won't be taken there. That team won't take... They have these strict rules built into their brain of what can't happen. And Packer fans do this all the time. You draft a linebacker. They don't take linebackers in the first round. They don't take wide receivers in the first round. They don't take short guys. They don't take old guys. They don't take light guys. They don't. You got to stop, man. I understand there are general rules, and, and, and I think it's more of a positive thing than a negative thing. You find, for example, um, the school they went to. I, I've gotten that before, too. He doesn't take guys from the SEC. Like, <laughs> Come on, man. No, look at his track record. He's never taken an SEC guy in the first round or whatever, or or Pac-12. Like he just he's he's never done Pac-12. You know, people get they they know these things because they're you know whether it's Packers or whatever they know their GM's quirks. And maybe there are certain quirks, but that doesn't mean they will never ever 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 do it. There's no hard and fast rule. So I want to just kind of break that down. And so everything you think you know, I want it to just be erased from your mind. Some of these things are like Aiden Hutchinson will not fall out of the top ten. If somebody has a mock draft and you want to criticize them for that, fine. But a lot, most of these rules need to be just completely broken. And this is a pretty – because, again, draft ace, number one last year, highest score of um, – oh, I'm sorry, not last year. Over the last five years, draft ace has been the best. Then 87 last year, which was pretty close to being the highest. So anyways, I just want to read off their big board. Um, we're not going to go through all 100, but – you just tell me, there's only 32, so his big board is, I'm assuming he's going to get to 100, it's still early, he's up to 32 so far, but you tell me, so we'll just go through all 32, how this lines up with your understanding of how things should be. Number one, Kayvon Thibodeau. Number two, Ahmad Gardner. Number three, Aiden Hutchinson. 
Number four, Garrett Wilson. Number five, Kyle Hamilton. Number six, Chris Olave. Number seven, Charles Cross. Number eight, Akema Kwanu. Number nine, Traylon Burks. Let me tell you something. If the NFL agrees with draft days, we're we're out of the wide receiver race. <laughs> Three in the top 10, including Chris Olave and Traylon Burks, everybody's favorite two wide receivers to mock to the Packers. 10 is Derek Stingley. 11 is George Karloftis. 12, Kair Alam, which is a guy not talked about very much. His consensus is 32. 13, Evan Neal. 14, Nicobe Dean. 15, Drake London. Again, out of our range. 16, Tyler Linder, uh, Linderbaum. 17, Jaquan Brisker. 18, Devin Lloyd. 19, Travis Jones. Hello. 20, Bernard Raymond. 21, David Ojabo. 22, Trevor Penning. 23, Roger McCreary. 24, Jamison Williams. 25, Trayvon Walker. 26, Jalen Petrie, considered a late second-round prospect. 27, Zion Johnson. 28, Drake Jackson. 29, Kenyon Green. 30, Jermaine Johnson. Yes, please. 31, Arnold Ebikati. 32, Kyler Gordon. Now, I'm not asking you to agree with this. I don't agree with a lot of this. By the way, that massive Georgia defensive tackle, I don't think we said his name at all. So he doesn't have him in his top 32 right now. Um, And again, this is not his final board, and we'll see exactly how all this shakes out. Actually, I can find it because he does have rankings um, based on position. So if we look at defensive tackle, Travis Jones is his DT1 with an 84.3 overall grade. It's kind of cool too. They have a ceiling and a floor grade, which I love. I think I need to start doing something like that because it's hard to really quantify stuff. Devontae Wyatt, 77.8. Jordan Davis, 77.5 overall grade. Has a ceiling of 86, which is higher than Devontae Wyatt, but his floor is at 40. He also has a ready grade, which I'm guessing is um, NFL ready of 3.0. He has Travis Jones at 3.5. But again, I've been saying I like Travis Jones. I'm not even necessarily agreeing with this, but he is like a discount Jordan Davis only insofar as we consider the athleticism not being on par with Jordan Davis. But I think the production as a pass rusher is actually significantly better. So again, not asking you to agree with this, but it is important to recognize that people who are very, very good at doing this stuff um, have very, very different opinions than the consensus. And by the way, there is no official consensus, although... If you look at the major media guys, they do tend to not be this wild and crazy. And although I do expect Aiden Hutchinson to go before Kayvon Thibodeau, I still think it's pretty important for us to remember that some things are going to happen in the draft that we're going to say that's so stupid. And we're basing that only on the consensus that we've built in our mind based on mock drafts that the, the problem with this time of year is that it's 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 every single day we get closer and closer to groupthink. And what we're doing is, and this is kind of the goal, we're trying to really boil this down to what is the perfect draft? What is the perfect order? What is the perfect this, that, or the other? And so we get so ingrained in group thing because our goal is to to really boil this down to one perfect draft. We do that with, with Packers-specific drafts as well. The reason we keep hammering on it and keep attacking, and that'll never have this one, is because we want it to be what makes the absolute perfect most sense. Problem is we're wrong about a lot of stuff. And so when the actual draft comes, we've got to just kind of throw everything we've been doing out. And the funny thing is we, we think somebody's so stupid because we've done 5,000 mock drafts and we, I know what the options are. And that was not one of the options. And so you're an idiot. But nothing we did in terms of mock drafts has anything to do with how somebody's going to perform as an NFL football player in the future. Heck, most of us are doing mock drafts based on this guy's tall and fast and he's a wide receiver. So the Packers probably like him. So we should draft him. <laughs> right? I mean, we're, we're, let, let's be completely honest about this. I really like this floor ceiling thing. (laughs) 
an NFL ready thing is pretty cool. Let me just do that real quick since we're here. And again, maybe you don't trust his judgment as it is, but let's look at some of these guys. Garrett Wilson, for example, 96 overall ceiling, which is quite high. He has a 91 overall grade, but a 60 floor, which is actually pretty high compared to some of these grades that he's been handing out. NFL ready 4.0, which is also quite high. Chris Olave, um, 89. But the thing with Olave that they have is lower ceiling than Garrett Wilson, but higher floor. 92 instead of 96, 62 instead of 6, also 4.5 instead of 4. So he believes that Chris Olave is actually more NFL ready, has a higher floor, just a slightly lower ceiling. I like it. As for Traylon Burks, um, ceiling is 92, same as Olave. Floor is 59, NFL ready 3.5. Drake London, uh, ceiling is 92, floor is 48. So this is where the floor kind of drops. And, and, and again, I kind of agree with that, although I probably disagree with some of the f- other floors. This is sort of my problem with a lot of these guys. It's, it's not so much the ceiling. They all have high ceilings. It's the fact that I think they all have kind of low floors. Tyler Linderbaum might be one of the craziest. 95 is his ceiling. 35 is his floor. 4.5 NFL ready. Trevor Penning, 90 ceiling, 50 floor, two as far as NFL ready, probably because he goes to Northern Iowa. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to go through all these, but if you look at college football metrics and their top 100 board, it's not quite as crazy, but there's still some stuff on here. And this is from March 14th. So it's a little bit out of it, but we're only talking a couple weeks out of date. Oh, by the way, it's, it's April 1st. So just don't believe anything ever. I just, I just, it just dawned on me. That's horrible. Anyways, this is two weeks old. So Kayvon Thibodeau, Aiden Hutchinson, Evan Neal, Akemaquanu, et cetera, et cetera, right? Ahmad Gardner is five. Garrett Wilson is six. So both of these guys are very high. Devin Lloyd at seven, Kenny Pickett at nine, Trayvon Walker. Oh, wait, that's not surprising. Trayvon Walker at 10. I was thinking it was the other Georgia guy. I was like, dang, man. He has Charles Cross all the way at 14, which again, so I think um, the last group had Charles Cross kind of low also. Kair Alam, 16, again, high. Drake London at 18, Chris Olave, 19, Jordan Davis at 20, which again, General consent. If you if you have the Packers drafting Jordan Davis, people are going to tell you he he isn't going to make it out of the top ten. Which I've told you, I don't know that that's true. I don't know that he's a premier pass rusher based on the statistics that I read you. And as a result, if he's a really good, but but being a all that athleticism goes out the window if you're just a nose tackle. How fast and agile you are means basically nothing if you're going to stand there and eat up two guys. Your athleticism matters when you're chasing down quarterback, right? I mean, there is some lateral movement and stuff required with your job, but all that is, is you know, I mean, it's like eating 2,000% of your daily vitamin D. It's like, dude, I got so much vitamin D. It's like, great. There's, I mean, it's not, it kind of has a, an upper limit to it, you know, in terms of the effect. So maybe just shoot for 100% and you'll be fine. It's just, it's just a lot of extra. Anyways, Tyler Smith, Tulsa offensive tackle, 22. Derek Stingley's all the way down to 23. Uh, Christian Harris is at 27. Haven't seen him that high in quite a long time. Uh, Nick Cross all the way down to 29. Brees Hall is at 30. Kenneth Walker right there at 31. Has Cameron Juergens, Nebraska center, at 34. Uh, Bernard Raymond falls to 40. Petit Frere at 42, which is high for him. Leo Chanel at 48, which is high for him. So, uh, again, a lot of this is similar, but just picture if each of these boards that I'm describing to you is each team's different board. And teams do have different boards. It's not like everybody just heads over to NFL mock draft, whatever it's called, and um, 
grabs the consensus board and says, well, boys, this is what uh, the fans and the media have decided is the order, so let's go based on this order. It's not what they're doing. Again, I've just read you the top two um, highest graded over the last five years. These two draft ace and college football metrics have been the best at looking at their top 100 over the last five years. NFL Rough Draft has not come out with theirs yet. Um, The Huddle Report, the site that I'm on, is actually ranked fourth over the last five years. So not only do they score all these different things, they actually do a pretty good job themselves. They have a couple outliers for them. Kyle Hamilton is actually number two. This was also done on 314, so it's a little bit outdated. So the uh, combine time or the pro day time might drop him there, but they had him number two. Trying to see any other outlier. Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett are 21 and 22. I'm not sure if two weeks ago if that was weird or not. Today it probably is. Jordan Davis, 24. Remember, the combine had taken place by this point. Uh, Matt Corral sitting at 29. Zion Johnson at 30 is pretty close, I guess. Desmond Ritter's at 33. Bernard Raymond, 37. So again, dropping him out of the first round. Otherwise, nothing super crazy. NFL Draft Shark is the next highest. They've also been... um, They've had the number one title at one point. This is nice because they actually list the consensus next to what they have. So, for example, Kyle Hamilton is consensus four. They have him at two. Akemakwanu, consensus three. They have him at four. Ahmad Gardner, again, a lot of these guys have Ahmad Gardner a lot higher, um, which a lot is relative when you're talking about a you know, top 10 prospect as it is. But they have him three. His consensus is six. Again, high on Kenny Pickett. They actually have Zion Johnson at 17 which they say the consensus is at 20. I don't even think that's true anymore. That might be old information. According to this, he's consensus 29. So Zion is real high, which again, I'm a big fan of. Uh, Jamison Williams at 16 puts him out of striking distance. Drake London, by the way, 13, way out of striking distance. Garrett Wilson at 9. Chris Olave at 19. I mean, pending a trade up, we, we get none of those guys. Got Matt Corral at 27. And this is kind of that, that Jordan Love thing. Or it's like, he was a second-round pick. It's like, no, he wasn't, dude. First of all, he was consensus about 24, like right where we picked him. But, I mean, th- there, were, there were legitimately people that had him as a top-10 prospect. There were people that had him as a second-round prospect. That's true. Probably one or two that put him in the third round at some point. I don't know. But, you know, we get so, like, we picked him at 24. He wasn't a good value until 29. Like, why are you so static on exactly how things have to be? It's just kind of crazy. And it also makes it hard for some people that want to do that want to work on this kind of stuff, that want to come up with their own conclusions. They look at it and they say, I can't have this guy as like my number two because he's like consensus number five. I'm going to sound like an idiot. Well, then be an idiot. I mean, you are an idiot. Let's just be clear about that. You don't know what you're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. But that doesn't mean you can't have an opinion. And it certainly doesn't even mean you're wrong. I mean, if we're, if we're, if we're basing idiot based on your ability to actually correctly identify based on their film and, their, and and all the different information you can pull in, how good they're going to be at football. Every single GM in the history of football is an idiot. But it's better to have an opinion and be right and maybe, you know, nail one or two things. Trust me, I know because I've done that. I've been wrong about a ton, but there's a couple guys that's like, I told you, I freaking told you. And it just feels good because I saw something that a lot of people didn't and I was right, even though I see things that all the time that are, end up being wrong. But it's better than just going along with every, what everybody else says and then still being wrong anyways. And then, ha- and then having to defend the fact that you were such a, an adamant jerk about something that wasn't even your opinion. You're just fighting to the death over other people's opinions. 95% of the people saying that guy will never be there is because somebody else told them that guy will never be there. But anyways, one of the things I want to do tomorrow, which is going to make things even more interesting, is again, I mentioned that uh, the Huddle Report grades top 100 board scores. Even more excitingly, and what I think more people care about, is they do mock draft scoring, which is to go back and look at 
people who did mock drafts, presumably first round mock drafts, and say, out of those 32, how many did you get right? And and their scoring isn't exactly out of 32. Their score is, um, if you got a prospect that you said was in the first round and he's drafted in the first round, that's a point. So your 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 mock draft is first of all a top thirty two big board, and they score you based on that. And then when you match a player to a team, you get two points. Not in addition, it's either one or two. If you match the team, it's two. If he didn't match, but he was in the first round, it's one. So the the highest available would be sixty four. If you got every single one matched up, I want to see what the highest that I can find on the in the last five years. You've got. Here's a 51 out of 64. That was uh, Jason Boris of Times News in 2021. Oh, 52. Xavier Cromarty, College Football Metrics, last year. I got that sitting over here to the side. 59 is the highest over the last several years. Josh Norris of Underdog Fantasy, the second highest being 54. So 59 is is quite incredible, and that was in... Uh, think that was 2021 josh norris of underdog fantasy but again you're going to get some outliers and stuff but um the top five over the last five years brendan donahue of sharp football analysis brian philpot of the football hub matthew jones of the draft examiner evan silva of establish the run and ryan mccrystal of draft ace so again you got draft ace there um as far as if you're looking for the 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 trophies the number one trophies Evan Silva established the run. Kevin Hansen, the only one I can find that has two, a two-time uh, best mock draft, Ben Standig of the Athletic DC. So point is that there's a lot of garbage out there, and we know that. And, and by the way, I didn't read off a lot of the names that we're going to hear when they do these constant mock drafts. Those are the guys that are just looking for clicks. They're looking for positive feedback. If you want people that do, you know, generally they've got like their one mock draft, or maybe they do a bunch, but there's, you know, they really refine it down at the end. There are some really good names that do a really good job for their mock draft. And you can find a lot of them here. And again, these are not the names that I've been reading when I do, you know, the the, the daily mock drafts for the pack. Uh, Brennan Donahue, Brian Philpot, Matthew Jones, Evan Silva, Ryan McChrystal, Jason Boris, Xavier McCarty, Eddie Brown, Kevin Hansen, Rob Stanton. Ken Zalis, Mike Band, Kenny Kemsky, Ben Standig, uh, Peter Clark, Sean Baptist, Joe Marino. Again, I haven't read any of his, but you could probably know who Joe Marino of the Draft Network is. Forrest Long, Brian Johannes of the Huddle Report, and Lance Zerline. There you go, Lance Zerline. There's, there's the first name that maybe you've heard. I wonder if he's done. Has he done a mock yet? This is for tomorrow, but I'm just curious if we've done any Lance Zerline mocks. He has done two so far. So this is maybe one of the only like super mainstream aside from, um, you know, the draft network, but one of the mainstream guys that actually has a really good record as far as his mock drafts. And then the last one he did was March 8th. So there isn't a current one. I don't even have him picking anyone for the Packers at pick 22. And again, this is, this is going to be for tomorrow anyways, but good stuff, fun stuff. You guys have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.